Welcome to the Credible Brand Podcast, where we are building a business that will last 100 years. Building a business with the intention of lasting 100 years involves a long-term perspective and strategic thinking, which are two things that I hope you'll get out of this podcast. Hi, I'm Lindsay Wigfield. I'm your host and marketing strategist. This week's guest is incredibly interesting, not only because of her life story, but because of how she's created a staffing and recruiting business completely on her own. She provides a lot of value for business owners who are looking for top talent, including how to optimize job posts for search, the importance of a positive onboarding experience, and tips for retaining talent. I do have a problem with my microphone during the first half of this interview, but I hope that you'll be patient and continue to listen. It's eventually fixed and you don't want to miss this content. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review. Positive reviews help me attract new listeners and get listed in more directories. I appreciate your support. And now on with the interview. Celebrating the 10-year anniversary of her business, Referral Staffing Solutions, please welcome Shobi Zitlow. Hi, Shobi. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Let's start with your story. Can you tell me what you do and how you got into staffing? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a very unique story. We start way in the beginning. I was born in the back of a van on purpose in Neshoba County, Mississippi. So the legal name is Neshoba. Started out with my father being very entrepreneurial. I always joke about that. Like he saw two kids being delivered and he's like, hey, I'm basically a doctor. So he delivered me and the four that came after me. So we all grew up with the entrepreneurial spirit around us. That wasn't the only thing. He tried lumber mills. He sold Amway, all sorts of different things. So we were exposed to that pretty young. And as children with a family of nine, we very much were expected to work these businesses as well. And so growing up, not only was I born in the van, this gets way deeper than you probably want to know, but we, I was born in a van. We moved to Wisconsin. Shortly after I was born, my father and his friends built a log cabin where we lived in a school bus. Log cabin was built. We had a dirt floor. We had an outhouse. Like I'm 40 41 years old, not 103, which the story makes me sound like I'm 103. So we grew up very different than most of the people that we went to school with. We had one garden hose that came into the house. We didn't have hot water. We had one hose that had cold water and usually it was rusty. So we came from very, very humble beginnings. And so with that, I joke that like my goal in life was to have indoor plumbing and I have not one, but two indoor toilets now. So exciting. Anyways, I've always kind of done things a little bit backwards and maybe it's because of, you know, my childhood. I've always known like take the extra step, do the things. And I definitely take risk when I'm making decisions, which sometimes sets me back a little further than I should because I don't always think through things before I do them. So I had my son who I love very much when I was 20 years old. So right now he is half my age. It's crazy, but I did things the hard way. So I started college, found out I was pregnant, finished the semester, had my son. He was about two and a half when I went back to school, got my degree, and I stepped into a staffing role, an entry-level staffing role in 2000. 2007, while I was going to school full-time and single momming it, I honestly wasn't sure. The first six months in staffing, I was kind of sort of looking for another job at the same time because I was like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. But I would say it was probably six months in that things started to click. Like I started to have candidates or employees that came back to me and said, you know what? You placing me in this role helped me get to here. Anybody who's been in staffing knows there are success stories and there are not success stories. It really is dependent on that candidate and dependent on the company. So there's lots of variables when working with people. But when that right match happens, it's so rewarding. And it's so cool to be a tiny little piece of this person's story. And so six months in, I really put my head down and worked really hard, got a promotion. So I was promoted to an operations specialist at that point. Again, was still going through school. Um, I worked there for about, I think it was another two, two and a half years until I graduated with my degree. And at that point, it was 2009. The world was kind of in crisis. The housing market had collapsed. And so the company I was working for had a raise freeze. So there 
they're like, great, you worked really hard. We can't do anything. So I was honest with my boss and I said, hey, you know, here's the deal. Like, I really love what I'm doing. I love where I'm working, all of those things. With that being said, I'm a single mom. I worked really hard to put myself through college. And so I'm going to explore other opportunities. So when they understood I was serious about it, and it wasn't in a threatening manner, it was just like, hey, here's the deal. This is really what I need to do for my family. It was probably a couple of months later, a management position opened up within that organization. I applied for and was promoted to that manager role. So I took over the management role. It was about 140 miles from like my home where the rest of most of my siblings live. And um, so I had nieces and nephews that were starting to grow up. My son's growing up without his cousins nearby. So I had a friend who reached out and said, hey, here's an opportunity closer to home. Would you be, you know, if you're interested, apply for it. So I applied for a position and ended up accepting a role back in my hometown area. So managing that office and I loved it. I loved what I did. Again, it's those connections with the people, right? You make the connections, you change someone's life, whether it's the person seeking the job that's now in a in an opportunity that they weren't able to get on their own. We we're able to give them kind of a leg up and propel them in their career or on the client side where the client is like working, you know, late hours, they're missing their kids' baseball game or whatever it might be because they're understaffed and they know they have production to meet and they need to stay to make that happen because they can't find the employees themselves, right? So like either way, on both sides of the coin, we are helping make those connections that really improve people's lives. And it's so cool. It's such a fun experience to be a part of. So about six months into that role, I received a new boss and her and I, at first I was like, this is going to be great, right? And her and I really, really struggled to communicate. So I worked for her for about two years, decided at that point it was time to make my, make my exit. It happened a little quicker than I had planned. I let, I was like, transparency is key, right? So I let the supervisors and the upper management know like, hey, here's the deal. I'll work until you find my replacement or until I find a new position. And they came in and walked me out the next day. And I was like, oh, well, that's not what I planned. So it was a couple of weeks, but I was like, you know what? What's, what's the worst thing that's going to happen, right? So I went to a Tony Robbins conference probably six months, six to 12 months prior to that. And I walked on fire right? The whole time I'm there, it's a, it's crazy. And I'm like, there's no way I'm not walking across these burning coals. Like that's dumb, whatever. And before you know it, I walked across the coals and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Right. And I think that that was really transformative in my life because like at that point I was like, you know what, what's the worst that's going to happen? I can create this venture, try to have a go at it on my own. I was like, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough resources, all these self-limiting beliefs. Right. But then I went back to that, like I walked on fire, right? Like walks on fire. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. If I fail miserably, like, yes, I'm going to have a bruised ego. It's going to take a while to nurture that back up to health, but like, it'll be fine as long as I know when to quit. So I'm not digging a hole, right? I didn't want to dig a hole for my family and create a bunch of debt and not have a way out. So I kind of made some rules for myself and said, here's what we're going to do. And we fail. So be it. And yeah, we just celebrated 10 years with referral staffing solutions. So it's a really long version of the story. <laughs> Sorry. That's amazing. There's so much there with the growing up without indoor plumbing and the dream to have a bathroom. My mother-in-law also had the same situation. And I don't know, it just makes you think to how grateful we should be for all of our basic things. So it's incredible. Now you got two bathrooms that's in luxury. And then also talk to me about like the Tony Robbins conference a little bit. So besides literally walking on fire, right. tickets are not cheap. 
to that conference. So what was that like? You have a son, your, was it between employment? So I had a small business owner in the town that I was managing a staffing agency in that had reached out. I think he reached out to the chamber and said, Hey, here's this Tony Robbins conference. He was really a Tony Robbins guru. And so I looked into it and I was like, this looks really cool. So I actually presented it to my employer and I said, Hey, this is something I would like to do. I'm not asking you to pay for it. What I would love is to not have to take PTO for this time because my goal going into it was to get better at the job I was in. So they actually came back and I think they paid for half of the conference. I paid for the hotel and I paid for my travel. It was in Chicago. So it was like four hours from where I'm located. I think I paid for the hotel and the travel and maybe they paid for the full conference. It was Unleash the Power Within. So it's probably the cheapest Tony Robbins experience you can have, but it was still probably, I would say $700 to $1,000, I would guess. It's been a long time um, since that conference. So the employer did support some of it and they also did not make me take PTO. They allowed it as kind of a work expense from a time perspective. I love that. And I wouldn't have even thought to ask the employer to have like, look, I want to go on this trip, but for my own benefit and I'll be a better, essentially a better employee if you let me go, but I don't want to take my PTO or vacation time. That would have never crossed my mind as a thing to do. But all along the way in your story, you're speaking up for yourself, taking the initiative to talk to your employer. And sometimes it doesn't always work out with that employer that had you walk out the next day when you Mm -hmm. express that you were looking for another position or unhappy in your current position. But I love that you speak up for yourself. And I also love that that probably translates to you helping job seekers find the right role for them and articulating what they're looking for in a job probably ahead of time, right? And then they talk in the interviews and tell me like, because that's a form of mentorship too, helping job seekers find the right role. Can you talk to me about how you connect with job seekers and help them find the right positions for them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we really try to focus in on is focusing in on what are your black and white must-haves, right? The things that we are not willing to compromise on, let's figure out what that is. You know, sometimes we have employees that are in a sticky situation and they're like, I'll take anything. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But the reality is like, we're not a temporary placement agency. We do have temp to hire placements and direct hire placements. On a very rare occasion, we will fill a six-month contract position or something of that nature. But generally, we're looking to make long-term placements. So with that being said, it's really important to figure out what are the must-haves. And then we have like this wish list, right? So what do we absolutely need to have? What would we like to have in a perfect world? We don't live in a perfect world, but it is absolutely a job seeker's world right now. So we know if we try to compromise on those must-haves and we don't give them most of the wants, that it's probably not going to be a long-term placement. And then we have an unhappy employee. We have an unhappy customer. We have an unhappy showbie, right? Nobody wins in that scenario. So it really is important to figure out what are those those needs. And sometimes the biggest need is, hey, I need, I need a job that pays enough money to feed my family. That's fair. We've all, well, I shouldn't say we've all been in that situation. I've been there. I have been in the situation where I'm like picking coins out of the cracks in my car to put gas in my car, right? It's figuring out what is most important to you right now. And that generally changes based on the level of the position. If we're looking at a very entry-level role, people's needs might be a lot different than somebody who's looking at a, a mid-level or management type role. And so really understanding what is driving that person and making sure that we're connecting that correctly with the business. So we try to get that information figured out before we really dive into the jobs because people can be distracted by bright, shiny objects, right? So if we have a job that's like, oh, you get, you know, X number of vacation days or the pay is this or whatever it is, but it doesn't align with really their core values and what they're really looking for, it's not going to be the right fit. So we try to get that information ironed out first. And sometimes we find out that the position that the person initially was attracted to isn't the right position. So we can gather that data and then we 
can present possible opportunities and then figure out the best way to present that candidate to that client to move that process forward. That's fantastic and really helpful for someone to find a longer term position, like you mentioned, was your strength. You have a lot of tips for business owners as well when they're looking for someone for a temp position. Can you talk to me about what advice you have for hiring the right people? Yeah, absolutely. So I learned this in two different ways. Number one, from failing miserably on my own and also just from conversations and communication with customers over the years as well. When we're hiring an employee, it's very important to understand the specifics of that role. What is the What are the goals of that employee? What is the ultimate contribution that employee is making to the business? And then what are those key responsibilities in order for them to actually make those contributions? So really having clarity in what the role is. And then also as we're rolling out those job descriptions, making sure those job descriptions have clarity as well. Same thing on the client side, on the business side, we need to understand what are the must-have black and whites, we're not willing to compromise on these items. And then what's our wish list? What's our desired list? What's our, in a perfect world, this is a unicorn. And right now it is an employee's market. So with with our clients, a lot of times it is like, we need to iron out what are those must-haves and are they really must-haves, right? We'll have those conversations in the beginning. We'll do our best to find the unicorn. Sometimes we're finding, you know, the perfect box and maybe they don't have, whether it's education, sometimes people are really stuck on, I need this person to have a bachelor's degree, but do you like, what are they doing? What are the key deliverables and would experience possibly cover that? And so really digging into that is really important. Clarity, making sure that as you're putting positions out there, that they're clear, concise. AI is amazing. So you always want to make sure that you're using humanized to review it and make sure that you're presenting yourself the way you want to present yourself. But you can put a job description in AI. One of my recruiters taught me this. Put it in AI and say, remove the redundancy, right? Get rid of the redundancy, make it short, sweet, quick, bullet points. People's attention span is so tiny in today's world because we're being bombarded everywhere. So make sure that it's very clear. Again, those key deliverables, making sure that your process is quick. So we need to make sure that it's a quick turnaround. We're letting that person know. I hear it all the time from the client side, like I applied, didn't hear anything, crickets. And two months later, I got a decline email or whatever it might be. So letting those people know, hey, I did get your information and making sure those conversations are initiated quickly. It is an employee's market. So they're applying to 15 jobs in the time that it used to take to apply to one job. So it is really important to make sure that communication is quick. There's so many things we could dig into um, with that, but I think clarity and speed is incredibly important and knowing what you want is incredibly important as well. Yeah, and there are two things from a brand perspective I find important with the recruiting side of things. And one is that, like you said, the immediate communication on, if you know somebody's the right candidate, then just let them know that they didn't make it to the next level of interviews or whatever. Don't just leave it open. I one time applied for a role, went through the whole interview process. I was one of the final two candidates and then crickets. And I was like, what did I do wrong in that interview? I never got any feedback. I still don't know if I did something wrong or if it was just like they didn't want to reach back out to me with bad news or something. But it feels, I, I mean, it's a hit on your brand because it's an open loop on my end that I'm just like, well, I followed up a few times. I didn't hear back. And now I just, I don't know. They just moved on, I guess. But it does have an impact on your brand. And you want to make sure that not just the people that you hire, but the potential hires, because you might hire them in future, right? Maybe they're not the right fit for the role right now 
now, but with a few years experience, they will come back. And you want to make sure that you keep that perception of being a credible brand and a great place to work. The other thing is that you mentioned in one of your videos is the importance of showcasing your company culture. Can you talk to me about that? How does a company, because I think sometimes there's a difference between what maybe the CEO or president thinks of their business versus what the people who actually work there think the company culture is. So how do you make sure that you articulate the company culture in a job position? It, it is. It can be a little challenging to put it in the job description. You know, you see companies like trying to do it, but I think the first and foremost, now I am from a relatively small geographical area, people talk, right? I think that that is the biggest way that your employer brand is going to get out there is by the way your employees really feel. So you can say you're this and you're that, but you need to live and breathe those values. Otherwise, you know, people are going to know that that's not really who you are. So I think that one of the big key pieces that myself personally, um, that, that has been helpful is doing state interviews. So we do state interviews with our internal employees. So it's kind of like a play on the exit interview, but like, let's have these conversations while people are engaged and want to be there and, you know, really uh, have a vested value in your organization, right? I've got some of our best ideas from state interviews. So it is really important that you not only take employee feedback, whether it's a state interview or some other way, but ask your employees questions, take that feedback. And then it's so important that you're letting them know that the feedback has been heard. And it doesn't mean you need to immediately make a change and say, this is what we're doing now because you said we should do this. But it is like making sure that there's communication and follow up on that. I've made that mistake in the past where I've taken that information and I'm internalizing it. I'm trying to figure out how are we going to make this solution, but I don't verbalize it to my staff. And then, and then the staff is like, oh, so I like went out on, on a limb and like, you know, threw out all this information and then you haven't responded to me. So I can tell you from a personal perspective that I like spent so much time trying to figure out how we're going to do these things that have implemented them. One of them being, being a small business health insurance, right? I've lost some employees and they've said, well, you know, we don't have health insurance. It's really important for the family. So I was like, as a small business, I think it was 20, 2018, maybe four years in. I was like, I have no idea looking at these budgets, zero idea how I can pull this off, but we're going to figure it out. And we figured it out and we're looking at family plans now. It's just super exciting. So anyways, I think it's really important to gather that data, but make sure the employees know what you're doing with that data. Again, it doesn't mean that you need to immediately come back with the solution, but it is important to let them know, hey, this is what we're doing. Like we're, we listened and we're doing what we can. Maybe we're gathering data, trying to figure out how it will work for our organization, but verbalizing that. So they know the time they invested in sharing with you, what they think is important was time well invested. Even if it's not something that you're going to change, it's important to know that we have heard you. There was another thing I was going to say. I don't recall. Can you talk to me a little bit about optimizing a job post for search? A lot of people use Indeed, and I'm not trying to plug Indeed, but the reality is a lot of people use Indeed. So if you're new to optimizing your job for search, I would say Indeed and LinkedIn, I suppose, are probably the two. You can post your job on both of those, and there will be feedback provided on your job post on what keywords people are searching for. So you want to make sure like fun job descriptions, fun job titles, right? Like that's kind of 2024 in a sense. With that being said, it can make the job less searchable. It can make the job less visible for a candidate to see. So for example, uh, we changed our front desk position to director of first impressions because it's so, more, so much more exciting than administrative assistant or front desk clerk or whatever it might be. 
With that being said, what the heck is a director of first impressions, right? Like, I mean, I think if you think about it, you think, oh, the first person somebody sees, et cetera. With that being said, was it very searchable? No, people aren't searching for director of first impressions. People are searching for admin assistant. People are searching for front desk, uh, customer service, uh, things of that nature. So although fun job titles are great, uh, people aren't necessarily searching for them. Also think about the, the level of the job, right? The more entry level the job is, the more you want your job title to direct to say that like you don't want to use keywords and jargon and things like that that are industry specific if you're hiring somebody in an entry-level role that doesn't need experience to enter that world so think about that now if you're hiring somebody who's going to be coding a website and whatnot you're going to want to use different words that are very specific to that job because that's what people who are in the coding industry are going to be looking for so just think about who is Look, searching for those jobs and then use those insights that Indeed, LinkedIn, other job posting sites might give you on your job posting and adjust. Adjust your job posting. And I would highly recommend utilizing AI services, ChatGBT. You can throw your job post in there, say, remove that redundancy, make this more searchable, insert these keywords. Again, review it because ChatGBT is not perfect. And it's so important when you're putting information out there that it's legal and that it truly represents your brand and the position you're hiring for. Um, but use those, those different skills and services out there available to make that a little easier for you and make that job more searchable. Can you talk to me about the businesses that hire you? Are they Do they usually use you to handle all of their hiring decisions or how does your partnership work? So we work with a number of different businesses. So whether it's a small company or a large organization, um, we work with locally owned businesses. We work with businesses that have locations all across the country, sometimes in other countries actually. So it depends. I would say the smaller businesses generally are using us for all their services. The businesses that are a bit larger, we sometimes get a little pigeonholed. So manufacturing is a great example. So if we do entry level and skilled positions on the production floor, sometimes they don't think about us from a human resources perspective or finance and accounting, but we do have different divisions within our organization that handle those different types of roles. Um, so we definitely fill all of those roles. So we try to make sure we're opening, um, keeping that communication open with the clients so we can talk about those different positions and have a little more variety. We do have some clients that, um, will use us both on the manufacturing side and the professional office side as well. Can you talk to me about your pricing structure? So do you charge a fixed rate or a percentage? And is it just to the businesses or is it also to the job seekers? Yeah, absolutely. So we have two different types of structures that we generally work with. So we attempt to hire or the staffing side of things. So what that means is the employee is technically, we're the employer of record. So when an employee is on a temp to hire program, they're working at the client site, at the business site, the client is responsible for supervising them, making sure their time is recorded, but we are the employer of record, meaning we hold the workers' compensation insurance, the unemployment insurance, we issue their paychecks, we send in the payroll taxes that need to be sent in, we offer the employee benefits, all of that is handled on our end. So that structure is essentially a markup. So we'll look at the employee's wage. I always use 10 because it's easy math. We don't pay anybody $10 an hour anymore. Um, but let's say um, we pay somebody $10 an hour. We're generally billing $15 an hour, $16 an hour. Just kind of depends on what that position is. If you're familiar with workman's comp, if somebody's working in an office, it's very cheap. Um, I always relate it to car insurance. So like 
somebody working in an office is like a 40 year old woman driving, right? Her car insurance is going to be relatively inexpensive versus somebody who's working on a roof. We've got a 16 year old male (laughs) car insurance, right? So that premium is going to be higher. So it really depends on what the position is, what the employees are doing. We make sure that the, um, the customers are always following OSHA safety protocol, that our employees are going into a safe workspace. We don't do any sort of roofing. I just use that because it's an extreme example. But anyway, so on a staffing or temp to hire side, we have a markup based on the employee's wages. The employee's wages go up. It's the 1.5, 1.6 times those wages. Again, totally dependent on what type of work they're doing, the number of employees, there's lots of variables in that. But the employee, the person who is seeking the job is never charged a fee. We don't charge on that side of it. This is 100% something we work out with our customers in advance and come to an agreement as to what that's going to look like based on us covering you know, again, the workman's comp on employment, um, being the employer of record, issuing weekly paychecks. The second side that we offer is direct hire or recruitment services. You may hear of it as headhunting. Generally in the past, that had always been like mid to upper level positions. We have had more clients recently that are like, hey, we want to bring um, a more entry level person in, sometimes on the production floor. So we'll consider those direct hires. That is going to be a fee based on what their estimated annual salary is for the year. And um, so it is an estimate. Uh, In the past, traditionally, it's a one-time fee. And we have changed that a little bit um, over the years. So when we have a more entry-level role, especially, uh, we'll break that fee down over 12 weeks. So it's very similar to attempt to hire, where you're paying for paying a markup on an employee for 12 weeks. We'll take that fee and break it down over 12 weeks to really help kind of make it a little more comparable, I suppose, to the attempt to hire. But sometimes when you hire that employee on directly, they have a little more commitment. They feel like this company is committed to me. They're not testing the water, seeing if I'm a good fit. They feel like I'm a good fit and they feel confident and they want to bring me in. And now I'm eligible for their insurance earlier. We offer health insurance. We do have something to kind of help them, um, medical, dental, vision, short-term disability, long-term disability. We have options available for employees. Is it the most amazing health insurance in the world? It's not for our temporary staff, I'm going to be honest. So normally a client is going to offer better health insurance if they're larger. Now we do also have smaller companies that are like, hey, I can't offer health insurance. Maybe we'll keep them on your payroll so that way they can have health insurance through your organization. But they're still, it's like a long-term committed relationship without the marriage, right? (laughs) Gotcha. So if the business gets the right individual for a position, what advice do you have for retaining that talent? So it is really important. I think it it all starts from that initial contact, right? Um, Starting from when a resume is sent over, um, making sure that you have a real relationship with that recruiter. So that way the communication is great with with the candidate. Onboarding, like sometimes people think of onboarding as filling out new hire paperwork. Onboarding is from the initial contact that we have with that candidate. Um, Every step of that process is building a opinion in their mind, right? Like uh, anything, if we tell them we're going to follow up with you on Friday and they don't hear from us on Friday, negative taste in their mouth. So we want to make sure that that follow through is there, even if we don't have an answer, right? Sometimes in business, we don't, we want to know by Friday, but we don't know letting them know, hey, we don't have an answer yet. So having that open, clear communication with that candidate, whether it's through us or direct, open, clear communication from the beginning, all the way through the process, whether they're someone you hire or someone that you choose to pass on, um, making sure that that communication is there is huge because you never want to leave a bad taste in someone's mouth because maybe two years from now you want to hire them, right? Um, so that's the first piece of it. From there, making sure that um, that it's outlined. So most people get like this nervous these nerves when they're starting a new job, right? Like, where do I park? 
do, is there a place for my lunch? Like, is there lunch? Do I get a lunch break? All of these things, like they're, they're, they sound little, right? But they're things that if you've been in a job for five years or whatever, like you forget that those are things that people don't know about your position or your place. Make sure that they know what the dress code is. So making sure that communication in advance is, is set up. This is what's expected. This is where you're going to report day one. This is where you can park. We have a refrigerator. We have snacks on site. You know what? We have coffee for you. You're welcome to bring X, Y, and Z in. Just kind of laying that groundwork and very basic, simple, everyday things that you're like, you know, they're second nature to you because you've been doing this for, for however long. But setting those expectations, especially small businesses, I can't tell you how many people I've worked with that are like, well, Jessica parks in the customer parking spot. Well, did you tell Jessica where she should be parking? Well, no, like it's assumed that she shouldn't park there. It's, it's not, don't assume anything <laughs> as little and minimal as you think it might be. If it's something that's going to like get under your skin, set those expectations. Nobody's a mind reader. They don't know what you're thinking unless you tell them. Set those expectations in advance. It's going to save you a lot of trouble in the long run. But then again, communication, check-ins. If you can connect someone with a peer, um, that's amazing. Because otherwise, like this new employee feels like they have one person to go to. Usually it's someone of an authority figure. So they might be nervous asking some questions like, are there feminine products in the break room, right? Like just silly things like that, right? Um, but they might not want to ask a supervisor that, especially if it's like, you know, a different gender than them or whatever. Setting them up with some coworkers. We do like these coffee chats with new employees where they can have a 10, 10 minutes with someone else. You know, do you have any pets? Blah, blah, blah. Like basically just a chance to get to know someone else and have like an ally within the organization. Super important. And then again, like those check-ins. So right now, like we generally schedule weekly check-ins as the employee's position prolongs, like maybe it's monthly that we're checking in, but making sure we're having one-on-one face-to-face time with these people and addressing any concerns that they have and um, just making sure that they have resources and know who to go to. And also like, don't sit silent wondering or being frustrated that Jessica's parking in the the customer parking spot and like fire her a month later because she didn't stop parking in the customer spot. But guess what? Nobody told her not to park in the customer spot, right? So you need to make sure that anything that you need your employees to know or any expectations you have of your employees need to be clearly outlined to those employees. And it's going to save you a lot of time and headache. I like that perspective of being more positive about it too, that it's not Jessica intentionally doing something wrong and Jessica stinks. Like it's could be that she doesn't know or she doesn't think that customers come and need a parking space for their own. So she just parks there. Not that that makes it okay. But at the same time, I like, I like that perspective of she's not doing it maybe as deliberately as some people would like to assume that it's just an accident and you need to talk to her. And I also like this idea of connecting with someone before their first day, particularly for people who are, I don't know, more introverted and are going to be kind of overwhelmed on their first day with having a bunch of new faces and people to talk to and at least having like one person that they know ahead of time and can check in with for what they're supposed to do or where they're supposed to go. I I like that. That sounds like a good first day. Talk to me about your social media strategy. You're active on social media. You try a bunch of different things, including these videos that showcase your expertise, but you do have two different audiences you're looking to attract, the job seekers and the business owners. So how do you balance that with your social media? Well, first and foremost, so um, the very end of 2023, we 
hired our first marketing person. So that's super exciting. She's been huge. Um, she is in school right now, finishing up her marketing degree. So she has really helped kind of outline that social media calendar. Over the years, we've kind of managed it, our recruiters, and we would have meetings and we talk about what do we want to showcase. But I feel like it's a much more consistent process now with her on board. So she builds out a social media calendar, generally a month at a time. We talk about it in meetings because I'm not a part of every conversation my staff is having with candidates, right? Um, so it's really important that our marketing person understands our business. Also, like I make assumptions. There are some times where I'm like, this is what we should be doing. But guess what? Something changed two weeks ago, four weeks ago, six weeks ago, and it's a little bit different now. And so it is really important to have conversations with those people that are communicating with the customers and the employees on a daily basis, right? And so we talk to them, what are some of the questions that you hear over and over and over? And then the other piece to it, because we do, we absolutely have two different customers we're working with. We're working with the job seeker. We're working with the person who's doing the hiring. So speaking to those two, they have different needs and wants, but the reality is the jobs or the job seeker generally wants the customer to know what we're telling them. And the customer generally wants the job seeker to know what we're telling them. So although we have two different clients that we're trying to speak to, hope that the information is information. Even if we're sharing it with the job seeker, we hope it'll help a customer better communicate with a potential job seeker um, and vice versa, right? Um, it'll, it hopefully will help a job seeker better communicate with the customer when we're giving customer um, information and feedback. And so although they are two different audiences, they are very, very well intertwined as well. And then the other piece I think that's important is in small business, especially I know over the years, like, like I said, we just hired our first marketing person. We didn't have the budget for that. We've worked with some marketing companies over the years, but we didn't have the budget to have someone in house in marketing. And so as you grow and develop your business, there are things that your, whatever your business is, you're usually really, really good at, right? And then you have to fit in accounting and marketing and, you know, all of these other things, unless that's what your business is, right? Um, but all of these other things that you're probably not very good at, the reality is in the beginning, you might not have the, the budget to pay someone else to do it. So you fumble your way through, you figure it out. But as you grow your business and you get better at what you're doing, you realize my time is worth $100 an hour, $200 an hour, whatever it is. And if I can pay somebody 25, 30, 40, $50 an hour to do the same job, I can pay them $50 an hour and still make a profit of, you know, if we're billing $200 an hour for our time, still making $150 an hour, it's smarter to hire somebody else to do it for me now. And not only when you hire, when you hire somebody else to do it for you, it's usually better. Um, so I, I think as you're growing the business, you want to get to the point where you're able to outsource that. But when you're not there yet, I, the, we want our social media to help those people that maybe aren't quite there yet. They're not quite ready to hire somebody else to do it for them because our fees are expensive. Our time is our time's valuable. And so our fees are not the cheapest around. So with that being said, if we can't help you by servicing you and billing you for it, like let's use the information we've learned over the years so you can take that information and do it the very best that you can yourself. I like that. How do you stay in touch with job seekers and also with the business owners? What's your process like? We have general contact. Um, we have incorporated, we partnered with some, some businesses that work with our ATS system or our applicant tracking system. We also have a client tracking system as well in that same database. And so with this, we can send out monthly news. Actually, we send it every every other month because we don't want to bombard people. We get a lot of emails, but we send out um, newsletters six times a year um, to kind of, you know, touch base with people that we haven't communicated with. Um, we have other systems where if we have a new job that comes in, we can 
source through our database of individuals that we've had conversations with, if they have XYZ skill and this is the position that's in, we could kind of reach out to them and say, hey, you know, what's going on now? This is an opportunity that we have available. So we have kind of some of those passive touches that, that we try to continually do with the people in our database. Additionally, uh, if we have a client, so we have an active client that has an active job order that we're working on, we have, we call it our weekly follow-up. Generally, it happens on Thursday, so that way Friday we can make any tweaks we need before we go into the weekend, but we're kind of recapping, hey, this is what we've seen for the week. We're noticing that we're not getting a lot of applications. Um, Market-wide, we're seeing X for the, the pay rate. The position that you're offering is here. That might be part of the reason. We'll talk about job titles. You know, If you're comfortable with it, maybe we can try this job title to try to attract more talent to come in, but kind of having a conversation about what is that looking like? What type of talent are we seeing? Do we have any recommendations to try to increase that traffic so we can get you the best talent possible? And then we're also confirming your openings, making sure nothing's changed on your end and opening up the floor for any questions. So weekly check-ins with our active clients and then the employees are similar. Um, so when they apply with us, we let them know they we got their application. That's the first thing. It's just a simple text message saying, hey, we got your information. From there, we're contacting them. As we're actively working with a client, we try to do the same thing. We're not perfect with it, but we really try to make sure they don't go into a weekend wondering where they're sitting in the process. Sometimes that might mean we haven't heard back. The decision maker isn't ready to make a hiring decision yet. So sometimes it's like, hey, just want to let you know, like haven't forgot about you. Don't have an answer for you yet. I'll follow up on Tuesday or whatever it is. But making sure that that client or candidate, job seeker, knows where they are in the process and what to expect, even if sometimes it's that we don't have an answer, right? Because that's the reality is People are busy and sometimes the answers don't come through as quickly as we want them to, but making sure that they know that we haven't forgotten about them. And again, try to do that before we go into the weekend. So everybody kind of has an idea as to where they're sitting before that weekend hits. Excellent. So 2024, you have a lot of stuff planned to celebrate your 10-year anniversary. Tell me about the website, the rebranding, and how all that's coming together. Yeah, absolutely. So oh, one of my recruiters will probably um, kill me for saying this if he listens to this, but <laughs> I've gotten some feedback. So we've changed our logo twice. I've gotten some feedback that uh, maybe it's time to look at it again. So I had a recruiter that told me like, kind of looks like a 90s hospital vibe is what our logo is currently. So I'm like, okay, it's probably time to change that. So anyways, with that being said, we're really looking at like creating a new logo and want the new logo to bring us through the next 10 years if possible, right? Also rebranding, websites are important. That's really one of our first Aside from social media, one of the first places people check you out and like kind of see what you have to offer. So we're trying to make that more user friendly, having some of those how-to videos available. So candidates that aren't sure, they're like, what do I do? You just go and click in the library and like search whatever it is you're, you're looking for an answer for and have a quick video that kind of explains what to do. Same thing for clients, same thing on the client side or the business side where there's just a database of uh, answers, searchable videos where they can find answers to questions that they might have throughout their hiring process. So those are two big things, um, the logo, the website. And again, it is 10 years. So we figured, hey, this is a great time. We have a marketing professional now, which is so exciting. And um, so she's really bringing in a lot of those uh, skills and resources that she's learned throughout her four years of marketing school. So having that is really helping us create that brand image that we want to really present and just adding some cohesiveness, user-friendly, like people's attention span is so short nowadays that we just want to make sure it's clear and concise and easy. And, you know, the resources are available at people's fingertips. 
Your website is important. I agree. <laughs> Thinking back to 2014, when you first opened your doors, what would you say is the biggest difference with how your business is run now versus then? 2014. So I started, I mean, I was on my couch and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So the first step was like legalizing the business name, right? So that happened January 4th of 2014. From there, uh, I the house I was in, we didn't have enough bedrooms available. So we didn't have a spare bedroom. So I worked on the couch. I worked on the kitchen table. Eventually I opened an office. So I opened an office space by March because I was like, I am not focused at home because I don't have a place to like go and work. And anyway, so it was, it was just kind of figuring things out and figuring out what I didn't know. So I managed a profit and loss statement. I was responsible for my branches budgets, but I had never sourced workman's comp insurance, things like that, that I had never done. Um, understanding accounting, right? And making sure that, okay, well, once you pay after your first year of business, you pay whatever you need to pay, provided you make made money. And we did, thank God, right? Um, and, uh, and then I was like, oh, and then I need to pay my estimated tax payments too cool because cash isn't flowing very much a little bit of cash not a lot of flow right when you first start business so really learning all of these different things that i had no idea about re-registering your business name every year didn't know that that was a thing until one year i didn't do it and then you know our business was whatever it's called i don't know but we just make sure we pay when the little blue card comes in in wisconsin it's a blue card i don't know but yeah it was just figuring out a lot of things and doing everything i mean literally everything so it was the middle of 2015 before i hired my first internal employee and but then hiring new staff like it was a that's a whole nother realm of like clarity. I mean, one of the reasons I found, I, I found the true need for clarity is I didn't have as much clarity as I should have before I hired my first internal employee and um, hiring that employee was risky. And so I did, I knew that that employee was taking a risk coming in and working for me when I had never had an employee, internal employee before. And so recognizing that, and I would say providing a lot of clarity or a lot of um, honesty, maybe about that lack of clarity was important, right? Um, I wanted to make sure the employee understood essentially that they were taking a risk too, you know, <laughs> like, yes, I have this job and yes. Um, but I, we haven't done this And the marketing person. Now, 10 years later, the marketing person that came in, we had that conversation and I said, she was interviewing with us in one other company. The other company has a well, um, well laid out marketing program, marketing department. Right. And I said, here's the difference. Like here, like you are the marketing department with this other company, you're going to have clarity. You're going to have other people to go to and ask questions to. There's going to be some clearly written out guidelines. I said, this is like kind of a trial and error thing. I know we can use the marketing and she has recruiting experience. So I was like, we can always fall back on recruiting, right? Like we have options, but as far as marketing, I don't have a clear cut. This is what you're going to do every day plan. I have goals and dreams, and this is what we want to accomplish in this amount of time. But just making sure that the employee understands the risk that they're taking as well, I think is super important. I'm getting off track with what you actually asked, but for my recruiters, I would say that we've built you know, from 2014 to now, we've really built out a better idea, a better guideline of what's expected of them on a daily basis. And it's, we've tested it, we've practiced it um, over the years that's continually changing and developing and advancing. I mean, we, everybody loves 2020, right? So 2020, 2020 was a whole nother ball of wax and we had to relearn everything and figure out what to do. And as we got into like 2021, 2022, there were giant, um, giant salary wage pressures. So I'm at a point like there aren't employees, right? So everybody was scrambling for employees. Um, probably mid 2021, I would say is when it really got tough. I think it was March of 2021 when I was like, where is everybody? And why do we have so many 
businesses calling us to staff for them. Like, this is great. Our marketing's working. And then I was like, oh, never mind. Employees are just invisible right now. I had staff, which I had pressure to pay more to keep them. So I had to make sure I figured out a way to increase my internal staff wages. But now it used to take a staff this amount of time to do it. Now it takes them six, six times longer to find that employee because the employees aren't there. We've redeveloped and redefined. And like, it's just when you think you figured it out, you need to figure it out again. So I would say we're still figuring things out as we go, but we're doing it from a place where we're not scared to make those decisions now. Like we're going into it with education, even if it's not on the specific topic, but knowing we've figured it out before, we can figure it out again. We just need to make sure we're asking the right questions and again, defining those boundaries so we're not digging any holes that we're not able to get out of. I love that. You figured it out before and you'll figure it out again. Shobi, how can listeners find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So referralstaffingsolutions.com. We actually have a new website coming, but we're not ready to roll that out yet, but you can still go there. Uh, We'll still have that website as well. So referralstaffingsolutions.com or we are on LinkedIn. We are on TikTok. Um, we're on Instagram, Facebook. So social media is a great place to get the latest and greatest, you know, throwing out tips and things like that on there all the time. Um, But our website as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and congratulations on your 10 year anniversary. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for joining us on the Credible Brand Podcast. Please visit wigfieldco.com. That's W-I-G-F-I-E-L-D-C-O.com. From there, get links and show notes pertaining to this episode. Send us an email at info at wigfieldco.com if you'd like to be a guest on a future show. 